Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Brandon Tracy and welcome back to the Authentic Agent Podcast where we have honest and authentic conversations about all things real estate and business wherever you are. Thank you for dedicating a portion of your day to the Authentic Agent Podcast. Before we get started today, I just want to thank our sponsor. Thank you to Angela Kiernan and Magnus Title. Reach out to Angela and schedule a time to talk with her. She is pure hustle and her team values client service and elite level professional communication. You and your clients will love them and you will certainly feel Angela's impact on your business. You can check out Angela's information if you're following live on Facebook. And if not, you can give her a call at 602-478-0064. Schedule a time to meet with her and see what she can do for you and your business. So, here we go. Nice. Welcome You're back. You're sounding more and more like a radio DJ when you do that every <laughs> single time. And back to you. And back to you, Bob. <laughs> so welcome back. Kyle Bates, the CEO of BTG Real Estate. As, as most of you guys know, um, I'm the founder of, of BTG Real Estate, and Kyle essentially is a co-founder and CEO of, of that company. And and today, and I know well, Kyle's been pushing me to do this for a while. A yeah, few people it's have. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, we just agreed to tell my story, you know, the, the lens of my story, uh, which is kind of riddled with failure and self-doubt and lots of things that I think people will connect with and things that I might be a little embarrassed to talk about yeah. on, a, on a podcast. But, um, you know, the more we teach and the more we reach out and the more that we spread our word and the way that we see real estate and business and the way that we handle um, things and grow, um, I think there's a lot more people out there that resonate with this kind of message. And, and before we get started today, I want to preface this by saying, listen, there, before we get into my story, I acknowledge that there are people with stories out there that trump mine in every way, mm-hmm. in every way, shape or form, their lives were harder. Um, they were more dramatic. They started from a different place. Um, I get that. Um, I honor that. And I empathize with that in so many ways. Um, the purpose of telling my story is just to show that, you know, throughout this journey of building BTG, that that it was it, it didn't just happen. It was that there was nothing special. There was no secret sauce. There was nothing in there that says, you know, hey, those guys were just special. You know, they had a leg up on everybody. Whatever it was, like it just wasn't that way. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that people know that. But for the most part, it's a story about failure and overcoming self-doubt. And it's meant to inspire you wherever you are today in your story, in your personal journey, wherever that self-doubt resonates with you. I just want you to see that it's, it's just time. It, you work at it and you commit yourself to it and eventually things change for you. And it sucks because they don't change right away, mm-hmm. um, but they do change. And I think that people will see that as this unfolds a little bit. Absolutely. And how can you be authentic without sharing your story? I mean, this is what we've talked about. You need to be honest and open about exactly what you went through. Um, but I think you touched on a key topic there. Stories aren't meant to be compared. You can't compare your story to someone else's or say they had a, a tough experience, so that's why they're better, or they had an easy experience and it was the family money or whatever it is that, that everyone likes to to uh, provide excuses for why someone's successful or, or, or why they're not. Um, when you listen to Brandon's story today, don't compare yourself to him. Don't say, oh, because I didn't experience a, a brain tumor, uh, I'm never going to run a team. It's not like that. It's, it's, uh, 
I have my own unique, authentic, genuine story, and I'm going to own it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to hide a piece of it. And because of that, I now have learned how to lead people. I now have learned how to be a better person and uh, learned how to be honest and open with everyone I come across. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I I love what you said about not comparing stories, because that was a lot of the reasons why I just didn't want to talk about this Mm -hmm. openly is because the first thing I thought of all the time was just, well, man, there's so many people that have it way worse than me. Mm-hmm. Like, and it just felt so self-serving to go and pretend like my story was somehow like, you know, special. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the more this thing resonated is it's not a competition about no. bad or good. It's, it's to help people see, you know, through the lens of me and building this journey. And hopefully there are some comparisons or some things that you can draw inspiration from. Um, to keep going in your business or, or get to the next level or do what, accomplish whatever the heck it is that you want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where do we start? All right. <laughs> <laughs> so you were born on... No. Yeah, right? <laughs> take it all the way back. No, I mean, uh, I think it's, it's worth um, kind of picking up and starting your story. We know you were a rambunctious, rambunctious teenager running around Montana, uh, running those streets up there, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, let's let's pick up. Let's talk a little bit about um, for anyone that's that's obviously in the MHG piece on on you. They know um, you experienced a a brain tumor, brain surgery that kind of shaped who you became, changed your life, and was a pretty uh, monumentous um, moment in your life. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, there's there's things in your life where when you look back, there's like a before and after. There's yeah. there's moments in your life where your life is defined as before this happened and after this happened. Mm-hmm. And the brain tumor for me is absolutely that moment. Yeah. Um, that that there was a before the brain tumor life that I had, and then there was an after the brain tumor life that I had. And you know, for for me in that moment, I was a young man. You know, I'm, I'm 23, 24 years old. And for most men at at that age, you know, I mean, your 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 life, yeah, we're just <laughs> idiots. We're just we we just don't know anything. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry if you're that age when you're listening, because I remember being that age when people are telling you like how little you you actually know, and you're just defiant in the face of that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I and there's, I was there's the same outliers way. too. There so. is, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there there absolutely is. But um, you know, I was that I, I was that person. Um, you know, I I felt like I was I was you know young and healthy and working out all the time and doing all this stuff and and yeah. going out and living the college life and and I just kind of felt untouchable. Um, and I started really you know feeling a lot of really bad headaches and I just thought I had migraines, you know, and I was taking some Advil or Tylenol and found myself drinking a lot of caffeine. Later I found out that caffeine is, uh, you know, has a tendency to reduce swelling in your, in your head, which is, which is weird. So I, I really started to increase that and cold things like frappuccinos and I, you know, and just having this, this deal. And all of a sudden one day my left eye just stops working. I can see through it. I have 20, 20 vision. Um, but I, but I couldn't turn it. I couldn't move my eyes to the left or to the right. And actually still to this day, most people wouldn't even notice this, but I can't turn and hold my left eye all the way to the, to its left or its right. It's unstable when I'm, when I'm looking in that direction. And most people wouldn't even know that. But when I'm, you know, operating throughout my day, I feel it. It's, it's, it's constantly there. It's just constant. So if you're going to sneak up on Brandon, come from the left. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. But, um, you know, without dragging this part of the story out too, too much is, you know, finally the headaches and everything had just gotten so bad that I was getting ready for work one morning. And, um, 
I don't remember it all, all too clearly, but I passed out on the bathroom floor. I was getting ready, and yeah, I was. It was really early in the morning, it was five a.m. And um, girlfriend at the time found me. Um, roommate, girlfriend got me into the car and uh, it drove me to the hospital. And uh, I was pretty confused on on the way down there. Like obviously, I knew something was wrong. I felt like something was wrong. Like something had accelerated past just headaches and and weird feelings. And and I got to the hospital and you know, quite frankly, wasn't really treated that great. I think it was treated like a migraine patient or, or uh, you know, somebody, I guess there's a lot of people that go from hospital to hospital looking for opiate medication or something. They're lying about headaches. And I think for the most part, that's probably what they thought that I was um, in the moment. And, you know, eventually they, they took me in and, and, and gave me an MRI. Um, and I came back and it was just uh, it was it was a really surreal moment watching you know these doctors and nurses kind of just be really nonchalant around me, and then all of a sudden MRI results come in and I have these people coming in just with these forlorn looks on their face and I just knew I just I, like mm-hmm. in that moment I was just like holy crap like my my life's gonna change I don't even know what's coming out of their mouth yet but I know that like everything's different for me right now mm-hmm. and. It's weird to say like in that one moment your life, like there's just something that switches in you and you're just a different person. Mm -hmm. That happened. Like I was just a different person from that moment, that second in time I was different moving forward. Um, And I didn't even know what the diagnosis was yet. Yeah. Um, But you know, the doctor put his hand on my leg and and just said, Brandon, you know, we need to, we need to put you um, in an emergency vehicle and get you over to Barrow Neurological Institute as quickly as possible. You need to go in for emergency brain surgery. And from a you know young man's perspective, just full of ego and mm-hmm. arrogance, and um, you just go into shock. Yeah. And I don't really know a lot about that time frame. For the next week or two, was was really kind. Of, it's still very foggy for me because mm-hmm. I just remember being in, in shock, and yeah. you know I remember going over there, and then I remember them pulling back and saying, "Hey, we, you, we can't do emergency surgery right now. Um, it's the the location of the tumor, the size of the tumor. It's too large to go to take the direction that we wanted to take with the emergency surgery. We need to pull you out. We need to put you on." Um, you know, medication to help reduce the swelling. We need to do all of these things and we need to map this out. Mm-hmm. We have to, we have to prepare. We have to get with the, the surgeons um, who like, you know, you, you talk about life and fate and all mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. And, and to be honest with you, I don't know exactly where I stand on all of it, but I know that if I was anywhere else in the country, mm-hmm. I would have had to fly to Barrow Neurological <laughs> Institute in Phoenix, Arizona yeah. to have this surgery because of Dr. Spetzler and Dr. Chris Smith and the, that team over there was one of the, and still is, the most profound neurological you know, place in the, in the country, in the world. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was really serendipitous that here I am, I, I live here, and I just like... You know, it's 25 minutes from my apartment at the yeah. time. And it just, you know, it's just, it was just a weird, weird, surreal moment. Um, the whole thing was really weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you this, and I, I don't know, this might be a little too deep or a little too personal, but in that week, I mean, the week in between you found out and you have to have that surgery, what was going through your head? Do you think, <laughs> all right, this is it? Yeah, you, uh, I mean, you're scared. 
Mm-hmm. You know, especially you know that ego, that ego that you had, and your all that cockiness <laughs> just, just like disintegrates, <laughs> it disintegrates right in front of you, and you realize how unbelievably vulnerable you are, mm-hmm. and you start thinking about the things that really matter. You start thinking about your family. I thought a lot about my sister. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about you know what I wanted my life to be, mm-hmm. and and that my life, the way that I was currently living it, was was not going to cut it. And you do go through the thoughts because you're scared. You go through the thoughts of like, man, if I get through this, like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And you start making all these promises. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know a lot of people have been there in that, that time where you just where you hit your knees and and you pray to God or you just beg and you, you know, you, you, you start talking about all these changes you're going to make. Yeah. Right. And in a way, um, I, I, I went through some of that, but most of that came afterwards the week leading up to it, the disintegration of of the ego and then just pure shock. Mm-hmm. I remember actually going from or going to Barrow Neurological Institute and just watching the the cars, you know, in traffic and everything. And it was just like empty. Mm-hmm. There's just this empty, weird, shocked feeling mm-hmm. um, because there's so much that you don't know yet. You know, you know that you've got a brain tumor, you know it's dangerous, you know it's big, you know it's causing massive concern to the nurses and the doctors around you. But beyond that, like, what does this mean to me? Yeah. Like, what, what does this mean to my life? You don't know any of it yet. You just, you're just stuck. It just feels like time stands still because you don't have the information. Yeah. You, you don't, you just don't know anything. Um, you know, the, the team over there did an amazing job. We got... It, it, I'll be real honest with you. Once I was over there, I was just so, I was on so much medication Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, for me, it was, you know, I was just in a fog. Yeah. And that time leading up to the surgery, the surgery itself, and even, you know, that, you know, that lot of time afterwards in ICU, you know, I'm I'm unconscious. Yeah. So it's really just at that point, it's, it's your family. Like Mm -hmm. you, it's very difficult to, to know that they, that they're that scared. Yeah. So, I mean, you went in, you, you did the surgery. When you went into the surgery, I mean, what were the expectations? Did they tell you like, hey, you may not wake up? Did they give you the whole spiel? Yeah, like, how so, did that feel? Yeah. So I like to tell this story in kind of a comedic way because it helps me actually tell the story. And it's true. Um, it's true what happened. But um, one of the last things I remember before going into surgery is, you know, that you they prep you for surgery and they roll you into this room and there's an anesthesiologist there and there's a doctor there and your family's around the bed and they have, you know, they have to tell you, they have to be like, they got to be honest with you about the situation and, and the concerns of the situation and what could be happening, what could happen. And I'm laying there and I'm still in a fog and I can, I'm laying, like imagine that you're just laying flat on your back and you're staring up at an anesthesiologist and a doctor and then your family around. Mm-hmm. And you're not really fully comp- comprehending the magnitude of the situation, but you can see your family crying. And that was, that was hard. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was harder than any other part of the of the experience for me Mm -hmm. and then there's just like this one comedic moment where this anesthesiologist this doctor is is talking to us 
And have you ever seen the movie The Burbs? You and I have talked about yeah, this. Yeah, I know yeah. this story. So it's a movie, <laughs> you know, Tom Hanks from the 80s, and, and it's The Burbs, and there's the, this crazy next-door neighbor. And, and listen, if, you, if you're listening to the podcast and you hear this part, whether it's live or not, like, comment, like, let me know you, that you saw The Burbs so that I'm not crazy. But it was one of my favorite <laughs> movies when I was a kid. And there's this doctor that lives next door, and he's this crazy, creepy doctor, and his name's Dr. Klopek. And he's got this, like, kind of Russian accent. And <laughs> in that moment, laying on the bed this anesthesiologist talks to us and he's got this like russian accent and i can feel you know i see i see my family um super emotional and i can even feel a tears um running down the side of my face from my eyes and i'm laying on my back and i can feel them like going into my ears and i just remember looking at my uncle saying he <laughs> He's, I'm, I'm good. It's Dr. Klopex Pl- Kl- got me. Right? <laughs> you know? And, you know, just that, that breaking that, just that super intense emotional deal. And, and that's the last thing I remember mm-hmm. going into the surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, it's just kind of like, you know, you, you're out. So everything that I know from that point until I kind of really, really regained consciousness in, in ICU was what my family had to tell. And I, from what I, what I understand, it was supposed to be a six-hour surgery. It ended up stretching way out. You know, it took the majority of the day. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine how they felt. Yeah, they just that didn't time. know how big your brain was. But you know, le- leading into that, you know, the Doctor Klopek moment and all that, which that's not his name, movie reference. But um, you know, they they said some pretty pretty tough stuff and setting the expectations for us and and um, you know the the potential of loss of life, the potential of loss of your ability to move. I mean, you're dealing with the brain. You don't know. Mm -hmm. You just don't know anything. Mm -hmm. So they can't tell you anything with confidence other than this is pretty dangerous what we're about to do. Yeah. Right. And for those of you who are wondering, they they did the brain, the surgery through the roof of my mouth, through my nasal canal, um, which was really interesting. The emergency surgery was actually scheduled to go through the side of my head, um, like most traditional brain surgeries that you see. Um, and ultimately that ended up being too, uh, dangerous. I guess the position there was, there was some pressing, some swelling there that would have made that very, very dangerous to, Mm -hmm. to do. So, um, skip ahead a little bit. Yeah. I wake up in ICU, you know, the first time I woke up, I wasn't supposed to wake up, you know, you have all the tubes down your throat and all the, all the stuff and you, you wake up it's like, Oh my God, it's a panic. It's scary. Um, so I remember, remember that, and then I remember them taking that tube out and, um, you know, just kind of sitting there. <laughs> you know, you, you don't get visitors in ICU. You know, you have all these times. You spend a lot of time just by yourself, and you have a lot of time to think. And I think that, that period of time right there was, was really my introduction to asking myself the first self-aware question that I probably asked myself, and that was, you know, what do you want your life to be? And leading See, up to mine that mine would have been, what am I going to eat? I'm so hungry. <laughs> of course it would, yeah. And the answer would have been ice cream, I'm yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, that, that moment was the what do you want your life to be moment. Yeah. But it's not like you're, you don't just like all of a sudden you're the, you're the person, right? Like yeah. you're, you're not so deep and self-aware and, and, you know, ready at that moment. It's just the first question in a very long journey of questions. Were you able yourself. to answer it right away? Like, did you know, like, okay, I want my life to be this or was it, what do I want my life to be? Not this? Or? Yeah. I think it was more surface like that. Gotcha. In the beginning, it was just like, holy crap. You know, like, you know, I was, I, I was going to school for kinesiology and, you know, I was never really a great student, but I had a great, I have most, 
I have a lot of passion for most things that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was doing some athletic and, and, uh, personal training and, and we'd started a business with a good friend of ours, Herb, you Shout know, I, Herb. I was working, <laughs> working for him at the time and, and we had some great stuff going mm-hmm. on there. And, and I had to sit there and I had to go, you know, like, this is like, I, I like doing this, but I want my life to be different than this. I want it to be bigger than this. I want it to have an impact on my future and my future family. And I want to, you know, you go through this all, it just comes so hyper, like localized around, like, I just want to do good things, and mm-hmm. do, you know, and then mm-hmm. you get out back in the world and you realize like, oh man, it's just not as easy as that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was that. And ultimately I kind of just sat there and had the conversation about, yeah, I want my life to be big. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to do that because I'm still a 24 <laughs> year old kid, right? With like, you know, just because you want something yeah, you doesn't buy mean like you 40 scratcher tickets. And <laughs> yeah. you know, okay, come on, yeah. <laughs> got the brain tumor. I got to win this now. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I I had the very the, those were the the seeds of uh, the the seeds of my life that were planted at at that time. Mm-hmm. About you know, I wanted it to be better, but boy, I had no experience or no idea on how I was going to take action mm-hmm. on that. And I think a lot of people feel that way. It's like you really want your life to be different or better, and you want to make an impact, but it's really overwhelming to answer the question how. Like, how am I going to do that? Yeah. And then how am I going to break out of the habits and rituals that I have in my life right now to change to to do all of that. And, um, I can speak to that now, but at the time I didn't have the emotional intelligence at all (laughs) to be able to define how I wanted my life to be or or how I was going to make that happen. Yeah. Um, so I still had, you know, a lot of tough lessons to learn going Mm -hmm. forward. Um, but that was the catalyst. Like that was, that was the defining moment, the change, the before and after moment that says, you know, you yeah, I want, I want to take control of my life. Yeah. So why real estate? Why did, how did that come into play there? Goodness, right. <laughs> um, yeah. Why real estate? Well, you know, it was, it was 04, 05, 06 during this time. So you, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything, especially if you were in the Phoenix area, you couldn't do anything without real estate being right in your face. It yeah. was, you know, it was booming. It was crazy. It was nuts. People were making tons of money. And I was just like, well, or at I, least telling you they were, yeah, at least telling you they were. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that makes sense. Like, you know, I mean, if I want a big life, I got to make lots of money. Right. And then that's, that's where you get kind of uh, trapped in the lie of real estate, right? The lie that yeah. all of us come into real estate with the idea that this is going to be super easy money and I'm going to be my own boss and I'm going to set my own schedule. And like, I'm just going to kick life's ass and this, and that's going to be, it's going to be that easy. It's a little bit so, of that youth and ego right. too. Yeah. It's exactly what it was. You're just you're, you again, back to like, you don't have the emotional intelligence or the life experience to understand, you know, what this really is. What does this really mean? There's some, there's some risks here. There's some factors here that you don't even, you you don't even, you don't even know anything about economics. You don't know anything about anything, but you know, I stepped in anyway. (laughs) Did you, and looking back on it now, do you think that the, the experience with the surgery and the brain tumor maybe made you feel a little invincible, a little reckless? Uh, no, no, I, I didn't feel invincible going through that. I did before. Yeah. But afterwards I felt vulnerable. Fair enough. Um, yeah. I, I, I carried that vulnerability for, for quite a while. Cause you, 
you have to go in every single year and get an MRI and watch and make sure that it's, it's that not reminder. Wrong. So you like you're never out of that cycle, right? You're just always in this this cycle of like, okay, well here we go. And for a lot of years after that, you know, you walk in, you, you go for that yearly MRI checkup, and you're just like, your life's wrecked for like two weeks. And they don't rush the results, or yeah, anything, yeah, yeah. right? So it's just like <laughs> you're just constantly waiting, 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 and you're scared to death. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you, you know, you get the phone call. It's like all clear. Yeah. And you're like. Yeah. Oh, we forgot to <laughs> call you. <laughs> we forgot to call you. Everything's <laughs> fine. Um, so that's kind of how how it went for me for mm-hmm. a while. On the flip side of that, you're still young, and then all of a sudden you're into real estate, and you're you're finding some success. Like most people were, it was booming yeah. at, during that time. And, you know, I bought my first property on a credit card and it was this junker, tiny property in downtown. Yeah. I think Phoenix. it's important to clarify, you didn't get into real estate sales. You got into, yeah. you got into flipping. Yeah, I was flipping, flipping houses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was keeping some and renting them for a year. And I mean, at some point, most people can relate to this. Like I bought a house, didn't do anything, rented it out for a year, sold it a year later for like $80,000 more. It was stupid. Yeah. Like the whole market was stupid then. <laughs> I got loans that I shouldn't have gotten and most people, and I, but I didn't know that I shouldn't have gotten those. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, all I knew was like, this is what was happening and it was working. What empowered what you I to think do. though that like, so like you just said, you bought your first property on a credit card. How do you even think to buy your first property on a credit card? Did you watch something? Did someone tell you to do it? Or did you just go, uh, I see this as $32,000 or whatever it is and I can get a line of credit for that much. Um, it was a combination of, of, you know, I had started to do some reading and I started, you know, reading books about real estate and, and, and I just got down the, I, I ended up meeting this, this lady that was doing some real estate, uh, training and stuff. And mm-hmm. so I did that and I got involved with, with her a little bit and she kind of mentored me into some, some properties and buying and selling, doing some flip stuff. And it, it was working. Um, but what I didn't realize was the massive amount of risk I was taking to make that happen. It was mm-hmm. just like, you know, again, youth, ego, lack of knowledge or, or emotional intelligence, whatever it is, you don't have that. So you're just like, you're just a gunner, right? Mm-hmm. You just, you're just going for it. And it worked a couple of times, right? Mm-hmm. It worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm making all of this money in the, in youth, youth and inexperience will lie to you. Mm-hmm. It, it will tell you that like, oh, this is how it will always be now, mm-hmm. right? This is it. This is who you are now. Yeah, that this faucet's is, forever. Yeah, this, yeah, like this fire hose will never dry up. Um, and, and you go through that. And I think that that fueled, that fuels kind of the arrogance and, and stuff. And that went for a few years. And, you know, like most people, and I didn't realize this at the time, once the collapse happened, mm-hmm. you know, when that happened, when that started falling in, in 08, and it just kept falling and kept falling, and it, you just, you just feel it in your gut, you're like, whoa, yeah, whoa. And I didn't really think about the loss of money or material, which, which was very, very prevalent. What I thought of was like, holy cow, like, this isn't just about me. Like, I've got my family involved in this. I've got, like, you know, everybody is involved yeah. in this. And, and So I, let's just take it back a little bit, though. Yeah. Like, so from 2005 to 2008, you were just cashing in. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> just making like money. most people were. Yeah, I mean, and were you putting that in any smart places? Did you make any good decisions? Did you, like, no, what I, were you doing? I didn't uh, make any good decisions, and I didn't <laughs> put it in any smart places. Okay. I was young. I put it in material objects, and I put it in, I, I was just, I was living like that was never going to, going to stop. 
Um, it was it was hard afterwards. Like I said, not the material or the possessions or the money. It was you. You had your family. Like now, like we're all suffering from this collapse now, right? And mm-hmm. you're you're facing, you know, foreclosures, and you're facing these different different things, and it's scary. Like mm-hmm. you, and you feel like it's like you're alone. Like you feel like it's just you. Yeah. And again, like you, because you have no real. Un- I had no really un- real understanding of of the economic factors that were involved, and that this was a national thing. Mm-hmm. This was happening on a national level, and like over half of of Americans were dealing with some serious, serious stuff at that time. Mm-hmm. But I'm a young man and I just internalize it like this is all my fault. This mm-hmm. is me. This is my fault. And I hit a new low. And that new low was just the feeling of shame and guilt around having involved my family in the buying and selling of houses and just the, the free willy-nilly, you know, just just going after it like there wouldn't be any consequences and then those consequences hit so when you say that though were you borrowing money from family were you including them i mean their money was involved yeah right and and they were attached to the outcome and Mm -hmm. they needed the outcome to be positive as much as i did yeah and when it wasn't um we were losing the you know the the resources that we had put into those things um and that broke me i mean that that just I went from riding high and feeling untouchable to, again, just being just the, the shame and the guilt that I felt was it was it was unbearable yeah. at times. The depression that that set in. Oh, my God. Like just yeah. just talking about it and thinking about it. Um, I think the brain surgery was easier on me because I was in a fog and I was medicated the whole time. Yeah. Um, this. This was shame and guilt and depression, and I, I didn't, I, I didn't see a way out of it. It was, it was ugly. Did it hit overnight, or was this like a slow spiral? Yeah, I think you know, it's like it's like Chinese water torture. It's just drip, drip, mm-hmm. drip, and the first ten drips are like, oh, no big deal, and then the next mm-hmm. hundred are like, oh god, and then you know, eventually, it's just like it's, it's it's torturing your soul to a certain degree. If you care about people, yeah. you know, I mean, some people are just like, ah, ho hum, on to the next. Well, I just internalized it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make me a better person. I, I wish I could have just been like, okay, I understand the situation. I'm going to move forward. Yeah. But I internalized it in the form of shame and guilt. And, and that it broke, it broke my natural behavioral style. Yeah. It literally broke it. Mm-hmm. And I just became a different person yet again. Mm-hmm. And that was a very lost, uh, depressed person full of shame and guilt. And I, I just couldn't I just couldn't see a way out of it. Is there a moment you can think of where that where it was just like, all right, this this is it? Yeah. Um, you know, I had started telling myself stories that I am like I'm a I'm a bad person now or or whatever that looks like. I'm I'm you know, I'm I'm not worthy. And, you know, that that stirred up a lot of stuff about, you know, how I felt about myself and you know, you start to kind of just wean your way out. I was sleeping on the floor of my buddy's apartment and very thankful for him to, you know, let me do that with my dog. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm putting a, a bedspread down at, in the middle of the night in this, this studio apartment and I'm picking it up and, you know, I'm going through this and I've lost all my possessions. And I just, it's me and my dog. And it's man. not like Lancer was a small dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was like 145 pound Swiss yeah. mountain dog. So it wasn't, <laughs> it was no small feat, mm-hmm. but it, it was hard. Um, I'm sure it wasn't easy on him either, but you know, I, you know, I, I was there and I slept on the floor and, and I tried to find a job and I found a couple and I maneuvered through and I eventually landed a job with a mortgage company in 2009. And, 
And, um, you know, that, that got me off of, off of the floor, um, gave me some direction out of, out of the depression and the feeling of, of shame and guilt. And at least gave me the, gave me some hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got into that job and you realize that it was, it was one of those just ugly, ugly sales jobs, mm-hmm. right? Like whether they don't want you to care about people, they just want you to hammer it. They just like, like that there was, it just wasn't who I wanted to be. It's a call center. Yeah. Um, did you think at that point, were you thinking like, all right, um, I lost it all. I'm, I had it all. I lost it all. Now I'm going to work my way back up to the top. Or were you just thinking like, I just need to get out of this? Like, yeah, it was just, I just need to find out how to like. So there's no food. encouragement whatsoever in yeah, your mind. <laughs> I, I was still super depressed, just still just completely overwhelmed with shame and guilt still mm-hmm. at this point. And um, how are your relationships with your family? I know you said that that at that point you felt so guilty. Were you yeah. running from them? Were no, they- no, I was just, I was verbalizing those feelings of guilt and shame and, and, uh, regret and, and, you know, a lot of apologies. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think some of my family knew it was like, this was a national thing. And, and I just, I just, just didn't know that it was it's not a Brandon. Yeah, it was, I thought it was just, all you know, about you mean me. it's not the collapse of Brandon in right. 2000, <laughs> right. but you, you know, that's, that's what youth will do to you is it'll just, it'll just, It'll just make you feel like it's all about you. Absolutely, you know? and, yeah. And that's, and that's a hard thing to do. So, you know, um, I worked at that job for a while, and that got me off the floor and into, um, you know, those little townhouse. Um, and I was, you know, in my townhouse, it was it was camping chairs in the living room. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, I had those little fold up camping chairs, those little nine ninety nine Walmart camping chairs in my living room. And, and I put, um, you know, some blankets down on the floor and made it look like there was a bed. And mm-hmm. like, that was, that was it. And that's, that's where I was for a while. And, and, um, you know, I, I got to a point where that job was killing me. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people feel this way and there's going to be some people that listen to this and there's like, they're in a job right now and that job just steals their soul when they Mm -hmm. go to work, right? Like they Mm -hmm. go to work and the moment they walk through the doors, it's just like that, that their soul just disappears. They're like, their soul just says, Hey Kyle, man, I'm not going into, into this job with you. Like you got to go do this on your own. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt. Like I'd sit in the car before going through the, those doors to, to my desk and I'd sit in that car and I would just be, I just imagined my life being different. Like, this is not what I want it to be. This is not what I wanted it to be when I was laying in that bed, right? In the, the hospital. The thing about rock bottom is you don't just kind of like go dip your toe in the in the puddle at the bottom at, mm-hmm. at rock bottom and then like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go. Like you have a tendency to bounce around rock bottom mm-hmm. for a long time um, until you kind of until you kind of find some traction. And, yeah. and that's what was happening to me at that at that time. I was um, I was I was trying to find my way. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, how did, did you know you were in rock bottom? Did you feel it or were you just still so caught up in that anxiety, that depression, that guilt, where you just thought that like, this is just what it is? Like, yeah, that, that's what it was. It was just anxiety and depression and guilt. And, and I just remember just feeling powerless. I remember mm-hmm. having conversations with my mother just about like, I'm not worthy of any of this stuff. Like, yeah. you know, it's just, again, it's the, so this self-centered view of, of your life and everything revolves around you and it's boohoo for me. And listen, it's bad. It was bad. Um, but man, your ego will trick you into some crazy things about how everything's all about you, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, not to say that what I was going through wasn't valid. Cause it is, if you're feeling depression or anxiety and, or shame or guilt and all that stuff, it can be debilitating. Mm-hmm. And, and, 
it, it can it can just it can stop you from taking the step forward constantly. Yeah. I think it's important to note that. I mean, it usually feels like there's no way out. It, it feels like yeah. this is just what it is. Yeah. So I started to self-identify with it, right? I started to just identify with I'm a shameful, guilty person um, and I'm depressed and that's who I am now. Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous. Um, but, but you know, li- you got to pay attention to the signs of life. Like life will, life will throw you, um, you know, a life fest every now and again. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to be intelligent enough to recognize where it is. And, and sometimes you just got to take a risk. Like you, sometimes you literally got to say, what's the worst that could happen? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm here. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I remember talking to my mom. I was driving down the 101. I've told this story multiple times mm-hmm. on, on different media formats. And, and I just remember coming down and having this moment. I'm, I'm driving down the 101 from this job that's sucking the soul right out of my body. And I just tell her with tears in my eyes, like, I just need another shot in real estate. Like, I did that so wrong. Mm-hmm. I did that so wrong. Mm-hmm. But I know some things about it now. I'm interested in it. I started to find a passion for it. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just like, you know, I just need someone to open a door for me again. Mm-hmm. And that's hard because, you know, most people think that I need someone else to do something for me. Right. Yeah. But you define what that someone else needs to do for you, you define it. So it says, well, it has to look like this for me to recognize it as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have recognized this as an opportunity until later in my life. And I can look back on it and go, wow, talk about a before and after moment, um, you know, as dramatic as the brain tumor. Mm -hmm. Well, from a professional standpoint and leading to the things that I have in my life now, this moment was a, a, a before and after moment. But I'm driving down that freeway saying, I just need someone to crack a door for me. Um, and, and I'll, I'll push it open and I won't look back. I'll do the right things. I'll, you know, I, 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 I keep, I'm finding myself. I just, I just need this, this little, this little extra thing to help me down this path. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I, and I don't remember the exact timeline of this, but within, I would say within like 48 to 72 hours after that, um, I get a phone call from this guy that I used to do some investing with in, in four, five and six. Um, someone that I had made up the idea that this guy hates me too because mm-hmm. we did this investing together and little did I know at the time like yeah. he had t- you know two three times as much yeah. as I had going on and lost all of that mm-hmm. and all, you know it's just I just there's so there was so yeah. much of my did you see that, that phone call come in you're like this guy's um, gonna sue me he's gonna sue me like, <laughs> good thing I got like, nothing yeah and, and um, it, it turns out he just he says hey man I'm short selling one of these properties we bought together and you know I just need your signature on this and I was like, oh okay no no problem yeah and I meet him up and we sign this this deal and we have this you know really nice conversation and you know he's he's he was an older gentleman and he kind of just we, he was so calm about everything he's like, yeah you know this is the way things are going you know economically right now we're, we're in a tough tough space and we just you know everybody's just trying to find their way through it and I started to realize oh this isn't about me mm-hmm. right and 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 then from there not only not not a week later mm-hmm. I get a phone call from a, a, a wonderful woman her name's Steph Levine mm-hmm. and I didn't know her at the time she was a complete stranger to me but she she says hey you know I was in Scottsdale the other day at a bar mm-hmm. uh, and and she goes I met this guy and we were talking about real estate and mm-hmm. he wrote your name and number on a napkin and said, you, you got to call this. Like, you got to call Brandon. Like, uh, Brandon's like, you got to talk to this guy. He's mm-hmm. he's good. He, he can like 
he needs this opportunity. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, she calls me. And now it turns out that she was a recruiter for Keller Williams. And, you know, she she brought me in and she had a conversation with me about real estate. And I was so reluctant because I was like, I just needed a job, right? I needed to make ends meet. I needed, Mm -hmm. I was willing to take, you know, $14 an hour Mm -hmm. at that moment over an opportunity to be where I am today. But in that moment, I was just like, no, 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 no. I, I don't care about that opportunity. I don't see opportunity. All I see is like, I'm, I'm on commission and I got to pay my bills. I I, I can't, I can't take that risk again. Yeah. Well, Um, that that fear will lead you to step over a dollar to pick up a penny. Oh my God. Every day. And we see it in people we talk to every day too. It's just like, they're so caught in that fear. And I think that's what enables you and I to empathize with some of those people and help Mm -hmm. them understand, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what opportunity really can look like. But you can't tell someone that you can't no, tell in, you in that moment at that time. And I think that's why you can speak so intelligently on this topic. But you can't tell someone who's in that moment, hey, you're you're stepping over a dollar to pick up a penny because all they'll do is this person doesn't get it. You don't understand me. Yeah. You don't understand what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Right. I have to make money. I have to pay my mortgage. I have to pay my rent. Like at the hardest part when you're in those moments, because I've been in them, is that experience is not unique to you. It mm-hmm. is shared by the majority of people in the work in the workforce mm-hmm. in the United States. Like ma- majority of people are living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, we're they an don't economy have built one. on credit and debt, <laughs> yeah, right? But it, it's scary. And them like me in those moments, um, you just you feel like this is your thing. Mm-hmm. Like no one gets me. This is my thing. You don't understand what it's like to not be able to do this. Like mm-hmm. yeah. actually, the majority of people you talk to have a story about. Yeah, that was difficult. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult. Um, skip ahead a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I ended up coming into real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, I went and I got my license. I sat in my camping chairs in my in my room. I didn't have television. I didn't have anything. And I sat there and I studied and I went to real estate classes. And I was just like, man, I got to pass this test. Like, I, if I don't pass this test, I don't have a job. And and I started to latch myself onto the idea that yeah. like this is okay. I've got this is the crack in the door that I had asked. Did for. you just quit the lending job right then and there, or did you? Say, yeah, I okay, out. I gotta. I walked out. Um, I went to HR. Like and half baked. You just threw it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're cool. You're but I'm out. <laughs> um, you know, one of the one of the biggest reliefs I've ever felt in my life was walking out those doors for the last time. Yeah. Um, and I wish that that was that didn't make me feel so selfish because it does. It makes me feel selfish. It makes me feel like, hey, you should have toughed it out there, man. You mm-hmm. like you had an opportunity and you were making money and blah blah blah. And mm-hmm. and man, when I left, uh, the burden that was lifted off my shoulders, like it, it was just. I know people out there feel mm-hmm. that way. I know they've been in a job where mm-hmm. you're just like. I just, this, it's not even worth it. it I, I, I hate to say this, but it's just like, I'd rather die than stay here in this job. Well, anymore. I think it's important to touch on it. I know it's a really sensitive topic, but like you've told me multiple times, like there were moments where you wanted to die. There wasn't something mm-hmm. that you wanted to hold on to. You felt so defeated. And so, and I think it's important to say that out loud. Like you had suicidal thoughts because Absolutely. of this terrible guilt, shame, and then the situation you found yourself in. Yeah, and, and and I think it's also fair to say that I've got family history of depression and anxiety, and it's real. It's really yeah. substantial. Yeah, yeah. And it did a- hit me at a young age, around 19 or 20. Um, so I, I was carrying that, and all of this exacerbated that. And yeah, I mean, if I'm being 100% honest, multiple thoughts about those kind of things. Yeah. And not not in like not in the ways like how am I going to do it, but it creeps in in the in the form of it'd just be easier. Mm-hmm. It, it just it just be easier. When you I, I justify don't feel this and way say, anymore. "Oh yeah, I, 
my family would be better off. My friends would be better off because yeah. I look how bad I screwed them and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And I think it's important to talk about people need to know they're not alone. When mm-hmm. you're in that moment, when you're when you're experiencing that situation, when you feel like you're at rock bottom or you don't even realize you're at rock bottom, you just feel like a victim to the world because everything's always happening to you and everything's being taken away. First, you uh, thought everything was great, and then you got a brain tumor, and then you thought everything was great, and you're making all this money, and then the world collapsed, and everyone hated you, and they were out to get you. Mm-hmm. Those and thoughts, boo-hoo for you, right? Yeah. Like you could say that, but when you're in that moment, that self sabotage, those suicidal thoughts, they creep in, and yeah. you're not alone. Go talk to someone about that stuff. Yeah, you do need to talk to somebody about that stuff. And luckily, I had um, people to talk to, and you yeah. and I eventually had each other to talk to and yeah. pull ourselves out of some of the darker moments. But, Absolutely, but. You know, also, um, you know, I, there's people who have gone through so much worse. And that, that's yeah, the weird stop, thing about... Stop invalidating I know, yourself. I'm, I'm yeah, saying yeah. this to, to make the point that it doesn't matter. Like, depression and anxiety is real in any form, no matter where you are, no matter how much you have or don't have. Like, it, it, it is a debilitating thing. It is a dark, dark place. And it... it if you if you have those feelings, you can't carry around the idea that well, people have it worse than me, so I don't want to speak up. Mm-hmm. Like, just speak up. Yeah. Speak up about those feelings. Like, what you're going to find is how how not alone you are yeah. in those feelings. You're going to find that a lot of people cycle through this kind of stuff, and and there's going to be people in your life that absolutely can relate to it. So no matter where you are, what you have, what you don't have, if you do have those feelings, reach out. Like you have to talk to people about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because we're we're tribal by nature. We're like humans, we we need each other. We need mm-hmm. we need to empathize and sympathize with one another and, and you it's not a weakness. Like it's no. not I don't feel weak because I've I've felt that way. Mm-hmm. I don't feel weak at all. As a matter of fact, I feel strong because I know I have, I now in the, at this stage of my life have the emotional intelligence to speak to somebody else in that moment and go, hey, man, I can empathize with you, mm-hmm. right? I, like, I can have a conversation that helps somebody else. Yeah. And, and you don't have to lead the whole life with this arrogance around, you know, it's just like, oh, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, suck it up, rub some dirt on it, blah, 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 <laughs> all this like really, really super arrogant stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, like it doesn't make you weak. No. To to not go about it that way. No, and no one succeeds alone. No, no one, not one person. You can't name one person in the entire world that ever succeeded that did it completely by <clears> themselves. <throat> yeah. So here we are, a real estate license. Yeah. Right. I pass the test. I get in, and I've got no no money, no resources, new rock no bottom. couch. You didn't even <laughs> <laughs> new rock bottom here. So I'm just I'm climbing up the rock, but I'm still on the the rock bottom. Yeah. Um. You know, year one was interesting because by any other metrics in today's stage, I came out in the first year of real estate and told, I sold somewhere between 20 and 23 houses. I can't remember the exact number. And for most people in today's uh, real estate world, it's like, man, that's great. Like you must've been killing it. And it's like, it, it's, it sounds good mm-hmm. until you understand that it was 2010 mm-hmm. and everything we were selling was real estate owned, foreclosure, short mm-hmm. sales, and most of it was 78,000. Mm-hmm. So 20 houses at 78 to 110,000 is mm-hmm. it's not enough volume. And yeah. then you're on a team, you have team splits, you have brokerage splits, you have taxes, you have all those things. By the end of it, you're not even making a living wage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my first year in real estate and it was, you know, it was a, it was a weird, weird year because everyone was telling me how great I was doing. Um, but that wasn't showing up in the areas that I needed it to show up to make an impact on my life. So I just still feel, I just still felt super vulnerable and, 
and re- yeah, really vulnerable to sliding back again. And right. I had taken at least one or two steps by that time. And it was, once you get that, you're like, oh, I don't want to slide back. I don't want to slide back. Yeah. Well, you feel like a faker because it looks like you're successful on the outside, but then you realize that's the real estate industry. That's what you realize a lot of industries yeah, like that you, you, because you everyone's telling you, oh, you're rookie of the year. You're all this stuff. Mm-hmm. When in reality, where's the money? Where's the, yeah. the support? Where's the security in my life? And when you don't have that security, it feels like everything's fake. Everything's for nothing. Yeah. All it is is numbers. And you know, I've talked about this before. The driving factor for me is actually not money at all. I'm not mm-hmm. money driven, but I am safely or safety and security driven. Mm-hmm. I want to feel safe. I want to feel secure, mm-hmm. not just in my life, but in my relationships and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel vulnerable in all of those areas. So I'm constantly seeking out safety and security. That like That's my yeah. driving factor. It's what is why I go to work is why I do the things that I do is mm-hmm. I just have this insatiable need to feel safe and secure. Absolutely. And that's, and that's tough. Um, but I remember during that time, there was a, there was a moment while I was, there was a, a number of moments. There's so many lessons that I learned along that way, but I want to highlight a couple. And one was I actually, um, I, 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 my cell phone got turned off mm-hmm. and you know, if you're a real estate agent, you're doing it, you kind of need your cell phone, but you're not like you're, that money is sporadic. Remember, it doesn't come every two weeks. Like, you know, some of it will come, you know, all at once in two months, and then there might be a month, and then there's three months after that. So there's there's no consistency to that. So it builds. So in the beginning stages of that, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, driving to uh, a gas station after gas station after gas station to find a payphone mm-hmm. because, you know, those payphones being phased out. Mm-hmm. And I, I found a quarter in the car and I was driving my grandmother's car at the time and I put a quarter in and luckily, um, you know, I could still turn on my cell phone and pull the, the numbers up. So, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I dial that and thankfully she picks up and I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm calling you from a payphone right now. Mm-hmm. And I, like I got, I have clients, I, I got to get my cell phone turned on and you're just broken by that time, right? Because mm. you've already cost your, your, your family things and you, you're at that point and it's just, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I'm about to ask for more. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like you're such a leech. You're, you know, you start going, you start all the yeah. self-deprecating Why didn't you stay talks. working at that mortgage yeah, job? If you would have done that, yeah. you wouldn't have to make this call, right? Yeah. If you would have just stayed there, you could have made your living and you could have suffered and that would have been fine. But here you are now like sucking the life out of the people that love you. And of course, all I'm asking for is like, can you pay my cell phone bill? But in that moment, you're just like, yeah. you're just feeling, you just, you just, again, the, yeah, you feel like you're robbing from your family. Yeah, you do. You just feel like, oh my God. And, and I always had this thing in the back of my mind where I understood that and, and it, and it, and it hurt. And, but I always just like, man, I got to make this worth it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, like I have to make them proud. I have to make them worth it. I have to redefine, you know, what, what it is that I want to be. I can't let these, these things in the past be the defining moment of that's who Brandon is now. Yeah. Like he's the guy that did this, that failed and cost his family money and did all this kind of stuff. And like, I, I was just so desperate to change the narrative of, of that I had written that, that my story was going to be. Because of that, though, you never lost sight of your goal. Like, you could have easily just stepped back and been like, screw this. I just need to make 50 grand a year and stay stable. At that time, it would have been 20. Yeah, Yeah. anything. I need to pay my cell phone bill and be able to buy two new camping chairs this year. (laughs) I need to upgrade my (laughs) my furniture in my living room. Maybe those reclining ones. Yeah. Impress the ladies. Yeah, that would have been good. No, but you could have easily just been like, screw this, because you are safety and security driven. But I think it's important to note because you you actually are also motivated and I think more motivated in ways to provide for the people you care and love 
so much that you were driven to go, okay, I need more. Like I'm going to, I am willing to just push myself to the, to the breaking edge every single day. I am willing to make these difficult, difficult phone calls. Cause it, you could have easily just been like, this is it. Cell phones off, whatever. I'm driving up North and I'm going to sleep under a tree and not which if you know me would have been just fine you would have been very happy (laughs) but instead you said okay i gotta call my my grandma i gotta i gotta feel like this terrible person once again and i gotta i gotta make the sacrifice to get the cell phone turned on so i could get angry phone calls back like you're you're again a glutton for punishment but because of that it was able to drive you forward one step further one step further you had to go through steps one through 99 to get to 100. Yeah, and those those early steps are just brutal. Mm-hmm. They're miserable, and you have to make sure that when you take them, when when people help you to take that step, like you have to honor that, right? Yeah. I felt an obligation to honor that help. I understood that help mm-hmm. at that at that point in my life way differently than I did, you know, during the boom when we're when we're making all those mistakes and you're just leading with arrogance and ego. At this point, I was just like, man, I have to honor every little bit of help that I get, and if I don't, man, shame on me, mm-hmm. right? Like seriously, shame on me if I. I don't honor this help. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to go out. I've got to make this this happen. And man, it's just so slow in the way that it happens, mm-hmm. right? And and I know the feeling because you like you're in that moment and it hurts and there's guilt and there's shame and there's feelings of fear and you got to pay bills and you got to do all of this stuff and it and it it manifests itself in so many like stressful anxiety ways that that make you do things that actually don't help you Mm -hmm. at all, right? They keep you where you are. And and at that point I was starting to understand, like I have to, I have to honor the help that that people are giving me. Mm -hmm. Um, I owe it to myself and I owe it to them to see this through and to work hard and make sure that, that, that um, I don't waste this person's resources when they're just giving it to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was, it was great because, you know, you, you start, I think at that point I started to realize like, hey man, you gotta take responsibility for the results in your life. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the first time in my life where I was like, hey, this is it. You gotta take responsibility. You want change, you want different things, you wanna get out of rock bottom. Like the only person that's gonna get you out is you. There's gonna be some people that throw you a bone Mm -hmm. and you have to recognize when that bone comes and you gotta take it and you gotta honor it, Mm -hmm. honor that. Honor that person's sacrifice for you, Mm -hmm. no matter how small it is, Yeah, you know? Um, and you know, that carried through the second year you and I met and, and we did a a buyer's agent showing assistant thing for the year and Mm -hmm. we were still really struggling. You know, prices were still low. We had to sell like 80 homes. Good thing I was equally as broken. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Good good thing. Like attracts like, um, but yeah, I mean, I I still remember that year, just the way that we worked together, the way that we hustled, the way that we fired on all cylinders and just the immense amount of stress that we were under to make ends meet, but we were working. Yeah. But we were doing something. Yeah. And I, I still remember like most of our closings, we sold a lot of houses, but again, for like a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. And then we had team splits and then you and I were splitting the money. We had a vision. We were working. We were like, we were just grinding, trying to figure it out. Well, I think, I mean, this is where I fully understand that feeling of everyone telling you how great you're doing and, and how successful you are. But when you go home, when you, when you wait for those paychecks, when you go home and you can't, pay any bills and you can't feel like you're successful in anything and all the personal relationship and ships in your life start to to crumble and fall apart because you're never there you're never present Mm -hmm. and even when you are physically there mentally you're just either drained or thinking about something else like it's 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 heartbreaking it's hard to think back on that and I know like I know you or I we couldn't be where we are today in such a happy place in such a great place um 
without those moments, but I still feel a ton of guilt and shame around those few years where, like you're talking about that second year, how many houses do we end up closing in 2000 and... It's 80-something. Yeah. Like, Between the two of us, uh, how much money did we take home? None. Not a lot at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it all went to bills. It all went to... to it, it went to getting us to scrape by. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what, though, w- I think you and I both understood during that moment is what an education we were getting. For sure. Like, I, I looked at it like an internship, right? Mm-hmm. Like, man, we are getting ed- an education on, on selling volume real estate, selling a lot of real estate systems, processes, learning how to do that through leverage. We were getting one hell of an education. When I learned that from you, and I appreciate you every day because of that, because I, on my own, I wouldn't have known yeah. that. Um, I was still an idiot kid at that moment too, but um, because of the experiences you went through, I was able to learn from that, and I, I completely recognized what you were telling me, and and you were able to even in your toughest times articulate that in such an important and, and special way um, that it uh, it made it a little easier, and I appreciate it for that. Yeah, well, I mean, likewise for you, it's I don't know that I, if if I hadn't had that sounding board, mm-hmm. right? Cause you, you and I came together at a very interesting time in my life where, where like we were, we were so similar in so many ways. We shared so many like fundamental values, um, that we started to lean on each other really, really early on, yeah. not just from a, a business and leverage perspective, but from an emotional perspective, mm-hmm. we started to like, Oh my God, this is hard. Okay. We can do this. Like we got to get through this. And it was the safe place. It was the person you right. could say, Hey, yeah. it was the person you could actually verbalize <laughs> like I'm losing my damn mind right now. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know that was interesting, but it was hard getting out of that. Like I, I, I met my wife at that time too. Like mm-hmm. when I first got into real estate, not my wife. She was, you know, I met her at that at that you time. Married right away. <laughs> yeah, just like you know, first night. <laughs> um, but I still remember like I had gone out on a date with her, and I had like eight fifty in my in my bank account, right. Oof. And Spoiling. I, yeah, <laughs> no, and I took her to, uh, you know, I I took her to. Uh, Toby Keith's bar and grill or something because I knew the bartender and I knew that I, you know I was like man I could probably get a two for one beer out of this situation. <laughs> right? Luckily my wife is like a super tiny beautiful you know mind spirit soul everything about her is amazing and and it only takes like one beer and she's like yeah. you know she, <laughs> she, you didn't know that going in but you were lucky going in, but it was lucky. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and, and I just loved her so much for loving me for who I was and where I was at that moment. And I started to understand, um, you know, what I, I started, it's my life. I started to shape what I wanted, um, my wife and my love life to look like and who I wanted that person to be. Um, and boy, she just showed up in such an amazing way in my life. And, and a supportive way and um you know it it was incredible to be loved that way mm-hmm. um it really was it was it was incredible for someone to know cuz i had attached myself like i got to be successful i have to have lots of money i have to have the nice fancy car i have to have all of this and that will give me the the girl right that's like the that's young people everywhere that's well, I mean, they attach let's that. be honest what motivated you to make a lot of money when you were 25 26 yeah. i mean you're yeah, it was all of that. It was yeah. just materials and, and, you know, finding your, your masculine way to show off and peacock and, and attract the whatever. And, um, yeah, not like whether you're a, 
a man or a woman, you're going to feel that way. You got right. you got to be impressive. You want to impress right. everybody. Yeah. When in reality, you're not impressing anyone that matters. Yeah. But man, she knew me, right? Mm-hmm. Like she knew. I think for the very first time, she knew I let somebody know me, like at that level that was outside of my immediate family, mm-hmm. and um, the way that she loved me, and the way that she supported me, and the way that we grew our life together was just so unbelievably incredible. And it's why, like a lot of people who follow me, see how much like this incredible love that I have for my wife and, and how I verbalize it and how like I, I don't hide from it. I don't like I'm not I'm not posturing. I'm not doing anything. I love my wife to a degree that I cannot even articulate. It is so powerful. Mm-hmm. The connection that I have with her that I just I look back on it and I go, wow, like how unbelievably lucky I feel. Um, but also the step that I had taken in that moment in my life to understand like hey, you, you better see this for what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, this is special. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is amazing. Like, don't sabotage this. Don't get caught up in nonsense. Like, keep your life going the right way. Keep, keep your mind on the right things. Be humble. Be, be you know, do, do the right thing. And this, these are the type of people that you're going to attract. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, like, the, the more I gave over that part of me and I stopped trying to be something that I wasn't, I attracted her to my life. I attracted you to my life. I attracted Steph Levine to my life. Mm-hmm. I started like, I started creating this circle of, of people that empowered me to be the, the best parts of myself. And, mm-hmm. I, and I started to realize it's okay to be the best parts of myself, right? Mm-hmm. The authentic part of you. And I started to realize like, this is who I want to be. I want to be exactly who I am. Mm-hmm. I want to be the, you know, this, this person. And I want to surround myself with people who are okay with me being this person. Yeah. And man, my life started to change really, really fast. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to recognize that you uh, you were able to see who was who's leeching off my life and then who's providing mm-hmm. value. But still, you're not out of this like that leech. Na- that leech word yeah. brings up another like in the early stages of of you know my wife and I's courtship. Um, you guys courted. <laughs> we courted. <yeah. laughs> How proper. Um, we. I, I I borrowed money from her. Yeah, you were the leech. <laughs> yeah, I borrowed money from her to show houses, to put gas in my vehicle to show houses. I borrowed her truck because it had gas in it to go show houses. And it said, silly boys, trucks are for girls. Yeah, literally, she had a sticker on the back. It said, silly boys, trucks are for girls, right? And, um, so, you know in those moments I realized like, Oh my God, like I can't be that guy. Yeah. I, I can't like I, this again, back to honoring people's, their little gifts to you. Mm-hmm. Like I, I got those little gifts from her at that time. And I said, I have to honor this. Like I can't be this guy. I can't be someone who leeches and just always, you know, depends on other people. Like I got to make sure that these little gestures of kindness and love for her and support for me do not go um, by the wayside like mm-hmm. this these little things have to mean something and it was all those little attachments and maybe maybe kudos to the shame and guilt that I felt but it was all those little attachments that helped me like honor the next step okay you got this this gas money f- like now make this happen mm-hmm. don't do not be wasteful mm-hmm. do like make sure that you're doing the work and you and I talked about that stage in our life and we talk about it a lot there's like 10 hours and 12 hours and 15 hour days that are just regular seven mm-hmm. days a week stepping away from dinner to take phone calls mm-hmm. with our with our wives when they don't really understand like the process of building they're not they're not there yet and also we're not good at articulating it yet either and, no. and sharing yeah. it at home we're just in this grind and we're miserable and bullheaded and we're just trying to make things happen I 
learned how to communicate at work years before I learned how to communicate at home. And yeah, and I, I'm still blown away that my wife is still with me. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that was that was an amazing part of of the journey was mm-hmm. was honoring those little bits of of love and and gratitude and support from all of those people and yeah. and you just have to recognize when they are. You have to recognize that a little bit of gas money or this little thing that actually means a lot. And mm-hmm. some sometimes you might be receiving it from somebody who really can't afford it. Yeah. Right. So don't assume that they can like just just assume that they love you and they they want to help you. Or they, they believe in you and whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but take advantage of that. And honor it and honor it. Don't, yeah. don't now come back to them and ask for the same thing next week and say, I'll pay you back, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with borrowing and, and accepting help. Um, but you have to honor it. You, you have do. to recognize it for what it is. Yeah. You have to honor other people's journeys. Um, very much so. But that time was, was crazy. The grind, um, during that time, especially, you know, as we stepped out and we created BTG real estate, I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, that was, that was a heck of a journey alone and how many times we almost shut it down. But, you know, the 15 hour days, the seven days a week for months on end without a vacation, I, I still remember going camping, um, a couple of different times with my wife and even with her family. And I'm on the phone just the whole time, Mm -hmm. the whole time I'm there, every dinner gets ruined, every vacation gets ruined. And that was like, listen, if you're an agent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you know, that, that, that all, like you just never get that opportunity to be present, fully present with your family, um, until you've, you've built a business. And so I wanted to make sure that those efforts really, really went to like, okay, eventually this has to change and I'm going to have to build that change. Yeah. Right. And I can't just expect to receive it. I'm going to have to build this. And man, that was a crazy, crazy time because you're just grinding. Mm-hmm. And I think people, we say that to people a lot. We say like the 10 and the 12 and the 15 hours, the seven days a week, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of like, huh, like, that was real. Yeah. That happened. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, in real estate, people say they work a 12-hour day. But in reality, they just they took a phone call in the morning and a phone call at night. And all of yeah. a sudden, that's 12 hours because they, they, they had did to something. They had to do end. something. Yeah. yeah. But um, no, it, was, it was a lot of work. But I think also, um, also there was a, a greater goal in mind. And it wasn't necessarily money-driven. I think you and I, through open and honest conversations, and I think through the dumb luck of us just sharing in the in the experience together and mm-hmm. talking about it and saying, Hey, um, we want to be able to go on vacation and not, and not have to answer the phone. I want to be able to go out uh, and take my wife out to dinner without having to answer six phone calls and set up a showing for after dinner mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Um, but those were the motivations. It wasn't your typical goal setting that you get in a, a real estate class or something where you're going to talk about, I want to sell 22 houses this year. Why? Uh, because I want to be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I deserve it. No, it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was us talking about, Hey, we want to have a lifestyle that, that can support us being able to be present. This is why we need this. Yeah. And that's what led to, to everything. But I think that's, that's the difference between your your um, growth and your story uh, at, from post brain surgery to the collapse mm-hmm. and then the collapse to where you are now. You were learning to to have set a goal towards a lifestyle. You were learning to set a goal towards the relationships in your life. You weren't learning how to set a goal on, I, I need to make a million dollars this year. Yeah. I read a book during that time um, by Aldous Huxley, one of my, one of my favorite authors, uh, Brave New World. And I've read the book multiple times throughout my life. But you know, when you you have times where you read stuff, and it 
just resonates different, lands different on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that book, there you know, there's there's these birds on an island, and and um, they the birds can speak, and they say, "Attention, attention, here and now, boys, mm-hmm. here and now." Um, and the, the point to those those birds in the book is is they trained all of the birds on the island to say this to remind the people on the island to mm-hmm. be here and now, like be present. Be here and now, like well, this moment, this person that you're with, your your child, your wife, your you, you've got to be here and now, mm-hmm. and that was difficult because that we just never had that opportunity. So that was what we were always working for. Is I wanted to be present. I wanted to be here and now. I wanted to be able to be the man that I wanted to be for the people that it mattered most to me in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, how the hell do I do that? Right? Yeah. Like, how do I do that and make ends meet and pay the mortgage and pay the you know and like mm-hmm. make sure that that we're fed and there's utilities and all that kind of stuff and. Yeah, that was driven. It was never it was never money or greed driven at that point. I mean, I had been down that path before, and and that was uh, really unfulfilling. Mm-hmm. Now it was just like, how how can I how can I be this person that I want to be um, to my wife and to my friends and to my family? Mm-hmm. So that leads us to to building BCG and everything and, and where we're at. Um, so as we started BTG. It's weird talking about it like this because I, I lived every moment of it. <laughs> but as we started BTG, um, and you were heavily in production, I was heavily in production, um, we found someone who was like-minded and uh, as dumb as us at the time. Mr. In, in Davis. Davis. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And between the three of us, uh, we literally went into a closet in in the real estate office we we worked in at that time we didn't pay rent on it it was a productivity cavern and uh <laughs> we would make phone phone calls on speakerphone sometimes we had a shot of whiskey or two to to lubricate the moment and whatever we needed to do to get us through right um not proud of that but but <laughs> sometimes you got to do what you need to do to to, to move forward and, and to, to get through certain things. But it was we, our way to soften the situation. The, it's the, a joke. The very r- real consequences that we were facing, we, we were finding ways to soften that yeah. and, and be humorous about it and try and find the little ways to have fun when we could. Yeah. Well, yeah. and we would just joke around and we we all knew the dire consequences <laughs> that, that right. sat on the other side of that door. If we didn't leave that room every morning with appointments, if we mm-hmm. didn't leave that room every morning setting up open houses, if we didn't prepare ourselves to be able to uh, to make it through the day without buying lunch because we probably couldn't afford it at that time, mm-hmm. but we were driven um, and we knew what we wanted. You reminded me of a story yesterday I totally forgot about is the yeah. cheese sandwich story. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I totally had forgotten about that. <laughs> You suppressed um, it. <laughs> I suppressed that memory, apparently. But yeah, that, that was what was bread and cheese, and we just bring it to the office, and that, that like we that was legitimately what we would eat sometimes. Yeah, you, Dalton, was, and I would yeah. we would we knew we wanted more, and we knew we also couldn't afford lunch, so we mm-hmm. would pitch in. We buy uh, some bread, and we would buy some cheese, mm-hmm. and we'd make cheese sandwiches. And what we would do is we'd watch these these Bloomberg short documentaries on successful people, like the TED Talks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And just go okay. Um, Let's follow people. Let's see what successful people do. Let's 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 leave this step by step thing out of the way because we know we know what we need to do to build a team. We know mm-hmm. sell houses, make money, lead with revenue, success. Cliff <laughs> um, <laughs> noted that, didn't you? But we said, okay, what what's something in common that all these successful people have? And what we saw was failure. I mean, failure yeah. over and over and over. And it was so validating. Because we'd lead generate in the morning, we'd we'd eat our cheese sandwiches in the afternoon or in at lunchtime, and then we'd go do open houses until 
sunset mm-hmm. every single day. Yeah. Um, but that little recharge of seeing like, okay, everyone else failed. Everyone else didn't have it easy, at least for the most part. Um, we can do this. And then we go out to these open houses on fire and then we collected a database of people that now are the foundation of what we are today. Yeah. We didn't have the money to go buy leads. We didn't have the money to go invest in fancy CRMs or anything like that. We didn't have a website. We didn't have a Facebook page. We like the first year we sold over a hundred units. Mm-hmm. Like, the joke was, you guys don't even have a website, yeah. right? And we're like, yeah, we don't. We, we don't. Yeah. What I what I love about that story though is when I reflect back on it, I un- I started to understand. I know now what was happening to us is again back to like we were getting an education when we were watching those videos. We were watching people talk about failure. We were talking about we were watching successful people take us through their journey and they failed and they failed and they failed and this happened and this happened and a lot of you know commonalities to the stories we're sharing today and then ultimately success through you know Gary Keller one of my favorite mentors says success is sequential it's not simultaneous it's so true I started to realize that like success isn't a six-month project Mm -hmm. right it's barely a five-year project Mm -hmm. it's likely a decade project to get to where you want to be and that's hard it's hard to be disciplined for that amount of time it's hard to grind it's hard to accept you know, the things that you're going to have to learn and sacrifice throughout that time to ultimately reach a goal. But man, once you get to a certain point, it's, it does start to get easier. Mm-hmm. It starts to snowball. And that whole time we were learning how to think. And we yeah. told our team this yesterday at a meeting that we had is one of the most effective things that we did in our in our growth as people is we followed uh, successful people that we that we really gravitated towards and we just followed them around and the best thing we learned was how they think mm-hmm. how they think about everything mm-hmm. right how do successful people think mm-hmm. and that changed everything for us we stopped like going to specifics and we started focusing more on mindset and we started like it just changed everything it, it's also it stress everything. tolerance you yeah, see these tolerance. people and mm-hmm. yeah they're billionaires but they the stress tolerance they have yeah we because, started to yeah. get success during that time too. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you start you remember sure. I started teaching and people started taking notice of what we were doing and how and you know how we were doing it and we were we were even at that time we're really trying to be authentic and as a matter of fact we were kind of anti-establishment to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. I remember my coach telling me and me telling a lot of people like I didn't want to teach, I didn't want to be present, I didn't want to do podcasts and do all of this stuff. What I wanted to be was effective, not famous. Mm-hmm. I really just you wanted say that to be every effective. day. Yeah, and we. We would come in the office and say we are here to be effective not famous mm-hmm. and that that was what was happening the reverse started to happen though mm-hmm. like because what we were doing was so grounded in in our in our humble authentic way that we wanted to do things and we were we were doing the work and we were showing up and and we were leading by example more and more people took notice and I and something really bad happened to me and another mentor of mine in Michael Mayer talks about this it's called success suicide mm-hmm. it's once you start having a little bit of success or recognition um, subconsciously you or extenuating circumstances start to show up in your life to halt that progress, mm-hmm. right? You get sick or you get into a car accident or something happens to your child or a family member dies or whatever it is. Like these are all things that happen to every single human on the planet. But when you start to find success and you're starting to get uncomfortable with that success and one of those things happens, it gives you an, an out, Yeah. right? And, and I started to realize a couple of things happening to me subconsciously. And I actually remember, and I debated on whether or not I would say this, but I'm going to, I remember sitting in the living room of the house that my wife or my girlfriend at the time and I were renting 
and I was getting recognition and people were telling me like these great things and I didn't feel great. I didn't feel like I was special. I felt like I was in the grind, that I, I was hustling, like I was doing everything I could to make ends meet. I didn't feel like the person that other people saw me to be. And I remember on the, uh, in tears one time, yes, men, I was in tears. Like we, yeah, we do that. Time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we do that kind of stuff. So yeah, just get over it. The, <laughs> I, I'm there. And I'm, and I'm in tears and I'm telling Jamie, um, my wife now, that I feel like a fraud. Mm-hmm. I feel like a fraud. I'm telling her that. And I realize now that I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fraud. Like, I'm, what I am is I'm, I'm honest and people are okay with who I am. And, I'm, and, and I want to, you know, I'm not perfect by any means. And, and I'm not ego-free by any means either. Like, it's, a, it's a battle it's, that you deal with every day, mm-hmm. recognizing those patterns. But, man... I was just all in my head. I was like, I'm a fraud. Like people are going to discover I'm a fraud and, and I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this success. I don't deserve this recognition. I don't deserve any of this. And man, was I, and then I realized like, oh wow, I'm actually still not in a good place mentally. Mm -hmm. And that was crazy. (laughs) That was nuts to think about that now going, think about all the people that we've impacted and, and, and helped and the way that we've changed our, our family structures and the trajectory of our financial lives and, and the other people that we're impacting and helping to do the same. Um, I don't feel like a fraud anymore, not, at least not all the time. Mm-hmm. But at that time, um, man, was I in some success suicide stuff trying to find every reason for me not to continue to push forward, not yeah. to step into your greatness, as they say, mm-hmm. step into the part of you that is great. Like you got to step into it and you got to be okay with it. And you yeah. got to, you, you just can't care about the judgment. There's always going to be people who judge you. Just step into it. Well, and I think it, in reality, what was going on at that time, the reason you felt like a fraud, and, and we talked about it a bunch, the reason you felt like you weren't um, you weren't able to speak at the same level as the rest of the people you were sitting next to when you were on a panel or something like that mm-hmm. was because maybe you weren't saying that you were cashing as many checks as these people or whatever it may be, but it's because you had the foresight and the experience and the the defeat from your past that you were reflecting upon that made you decide, okay, um, I don't want to be a real estate agent. Not there's anything wrong with it, but you didn't want to be a real estate agent. You wanted to own a business. You wanted to create. You wanted to own a business. You didn't want to own your job, uh, as as Glenn says, as our coach says. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you had the foresight at that time to say, okay, I got to step out of production, and <laughs> I need to focus on the business solely. Yeah. Um, and because of that, BTG production wise suffered a little bit because it lost it lost you um one of the major producers Mm -hmm. um and and um led you to focus solely on the business solely on how do we grow this thing how do we create a business model how do we create a leverage and support staff how do we make this into something bigger how do Mm -hmm. we prepare for a few years down the road um when you could have just said i'm gonna cash in I'm a, and then I'm gonna cash, and cash in and cash out yeah which is that's a great way to do it too mm-hmm. um but you had things in your life and and you were secure in your relationship and you were secure in your friendships that you decided okay i'm gonna i'm gonna take the time to build this thing yeah um but it was a mental struggle for you and it, i think it really oh it, man it was like the most torturous thing i think i've ever done <laughs> it's like yeah. it be, through I, all of this that yeah. we talked about that yeah, was the most torturous come on. Like, but in a way like i I, I do remember that. I'm, again, I say this a lot. I am not money driven. That mm-hmm. shows up in my life. Yeah. You can see that everywhere in my life, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I am the kind of guy that prefers to be in a cabin in the middle of the woods in Montana and just be like, 
I'm good, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I don't need all the other stuff. I've, I've had some of the other stuff and lost it. I realize that it's not gonna change my life. It's not gonna make me feel any better. Like I'm, I'm grounded in what I want my life to be now. Yeah, but you and it, the Unabomber. Just <laughs> oh geez, yeah. <laughs> come on, don't throw me in the Montana, <laughs> just, cause of, just cause I'm from Montana. So here's the thing though, um, when I, I had this conversation with a couple of agents yesterday where like they wanna, they wanna build a team. And what I tell people about building a team is it's going to be very, very difficult and it's going to be less money and more of your time way before it's more money and less of your time. Mm -hmm. And when I say way before, I mean like a half a decade before, Mm -hmm. like you're going to have to sacrifice. And I remember half a decade if you're lucky, if you're lucky, if you do things the right way, it's going to take you half a decade. It's going to be at if you're if you're killing it and you find a you find an account you do some something special and you just like maybe three years mm-hmm. right but five years in general is what it's going to take you to build the business and then another three or five years to really experience the compounding effects of profit mm-hmm. right because making a lot of money in one year it actually doesn't make you feel like you have a lot of money it's the compounding effect of making that money year over year over year for multiple years where you start to go oh look at that savings now I have investment money yada 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 mm-hmm. right so there's a process that goes on there but when I stepped out of production I lost a ton of my income mm-hmm. like it just it just went away yeah and I was like oh man and it was hard because I knew I could go out and sell a ton of real estate and make a ton of money and I'd just be like oh I can fix all my own problems. Yeah. But I wanted my life to be bigger, right? Going back to that moment in the hospital bed where you're like, hey, remember, you have some some changing life-changing moments in your life that you still have to honor. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, that I honored those things, that I honored, like, being in that bed and making that decision and having those thoughts and saying, I need my life to look different. And now, I'm, now I have this opportunity. I have good people around me and you and Dalton. Kim was working for us at the time, Christine. We had great prospects and Alyssa. We were starting, like people were starting to resonate with our mission, vision, and values as a, as a business. And what we had recognized at that time was, okay, if we're going to do this, somebody needs to focus on the business. Mm-hmm. And you and I had that discussion and we, you know, high-fived and said, okay, Kyle, you're in the business. Brandon, you're on the business. Now let's go make this happen. Yeah. Ready and to borrow money from each other for yeah, a while well, now? And, and that's the truth. <laughs> and, and a lot of people should know that, that sometimes you were flush when I wasn't and I was flush when you weren't. Mm-hmm. And we were just exchanging money back and forth to mm-hmm. each other other all year for for years when we started BTG mm-hmm. like the sacrifices the personal and financial sacrifices we made to yeah. do all of that and how many times we joke about this in the early stages of growing this business where we were like hey we're legit not going to make payroll next month mm-hmm. if we like if some magical thing doesn't just fall out of the sky we're done yeah. we're shutting this thing down and then something would show up and mm-hmm. we would you know as a result of our work yeah. something would show up and catapult us another month or another 3 months or another 6 months and we'd find our ourselves in that situation again and that like it also empowered us in a way that was so special because of those moments because we've been in that same place where we felt down but we've had these moments that we can now share and talk about but that one in particular moment where you called me up you were out of production I was sitting in the office and didn't really know what was going on I didn't realize the dire consequences (laughs) but you called me up and said hey um, we're shutting BTG down if we don't get four escrows in the next week. Like we yeah. can't. We're not going to make payroll. We're not going to make payroll. We're not yeah. going to do anything. We're not going to be able to to make anyone happy. Um, and me being the forever optimist and always trying to make you feel better, I was like, we got <laughs> this. Got don't this. worry, yeah. don't worry. And then I hung up the phone and I wanted to cry, but um, <laughs> I called I, I called up Dalton and I was like, hey Dalton, like uh, you got two, I got two. You want to make this happen? And Lo and behold, we got four escrows in mm-hmm. two days um, just with people that were sitting in the pipeline that we just needed to nurture. 
But because of that, it reminded us, oh, yeah, we can do this. Like, it's there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that far away. Um, even in those moments, if you're willing to just put your head down and go and not dwell in the BS um, and, and actually take one foot, put it in front of the other and, and, and find people that are willing to do that with you. And then we all celebrated and then we used all of that money to pay payroll and the three of us didn't walk away with anything, but we were so happy and felt so validated and felt uh-huh. so good. And because of that, there's a foundation to our business and to our friendships that is so solid mm-hmm. uh, that I'm so appreciative of. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy we went through that too, because those sacrifices are necessary when you're building a business. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not going to look perfect for you. It, it's going to be tough and you're going to have times where like w- the first year we sold a hundred units, which I think was like 14 or something, mm-hmm. 2014, uh, maybe it was, a, yeah, I think it was somewhere around then. But the first year we sold a hundred units, I remember making almost no money. Mm-hmm. I was just like, wow. And we're getting all this recognition, right? You guys sold a hundred, oh my gosh, a hundred sales, blah, blah, blah. And that's, I think that moment, that moment is when we graduated from being real estate agents to business people. Mm-hmm. We started to realize, oh man, staff, structure, systems, mm-hmm. overhead, budgeting, profit and loss statements. Then we started to understand business. Mm-hmm. And we got a heck of an education in business for the next, I think the next year we did 120 units that year mm-hmm. and we did better, right? We tightened up the, the P&L, the budget. We started focusing on where our our greatest return on mm-hmm. on our money was in our business. We started investing in training and 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 for our people. Yeah. And then the next year, it was like, okay, boom! Now we're like, yeah. we shoot up to two hundred units. And I then forget this who year said it, like, but in that year, some we heard somewhere where someone was like, oh, real estate agents, yeah, they're great at out earning their stupidity, right? <laughs> and we're like, oh, yeah, that's us. That's 100%. us. That was totally <laughs> us. Yeah, we were out earning our stupidity because all we were at that time was real estate agents. We weren't business people yet, mm-hmm. and. Once we started to get the business education, not only the live education, the live training, the consequences of not meeting our obligations, but really understanding you don't expand businesses, you expand the profit inside mm-hmm. of a business. There's all kinds of things that you would love to do with your business, but if that if those things don't generate profit, you can't do those. And that sucks. We talked about this yesterday. That really does suck. But also, if you, if you stray too far from creating the profitable aspects of your business, then all the great things that the platform does, that BTG does, does mm-hmm. will not exist at all. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of balance this 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 very like idealistic thing that you want to accomplish with the very realistic aspects of running a business and creating profits so that the business can exist and do the good that it does do. And then through growth, that balance is just, you're just constantly evaluating that balance. Okay, we want to do these great things. We want to do this, but we also need the profit to do it. And you start to really learn, okay, now now I'm in the business. And then on the other side of that, we started to develop uh, our personal growth really started to take off. We started to understand how to lead people. We started to really understand what leadership meant and what we needed to honor through our people. And that's hard in real estate too, because what agent, the agents are, are, they have, they're where we were before we were business people. Mm-hmm. So they know what they want, but inherently don't know what they need. Mm-hmm. So then we created a business BTG around what we knew agents needed from a leverage perspective, filling the cracks and the holes, all the things that we knew agents weren't going to do for themselves or couldn't do for themselves, time constraints, behavioral style, 
uh, issues, whatever it was. And we started to fill all those holes. We started to really listen and and create a business that leveraged people into doing more instead of creating false promises that you know, hey, we've got this lead or we've got this, and this is going to change your life. We ident- we finally found our identity as a business. Is we are going to be a business that builds real estate professionals. We are not going to be a business that just throws leads at random people and creates massive turnover. Yeah, not without mistakes, though. I mean, all of that a happened. A ton <laughs> of them. Oh, my goodness. With a ton yeah. of failure and a ton of false promises and a ton of things that we truly believed that never came to fruition. And I think it's important to talk yeah. about that because it's it's – we fail, we fail multiple times this. a year because we'll talk to our team and say, we want to implement this system or strategy or this is the direction that we're going to go on. And I think this is one of the things that we've done really, really well is we vision cast. Mm-hmm. Every single month, multiple times, our people in our organization are exposed to our message of where we're taking the business, why we're taking them it there. And then we always answer the question, what's in it for them, mm-hmm. right? And we're constantly vision casting those three things so that people can understand why we failed at this thing. Why are we pivoting? Why is it a good thing? Mm-hmm. And you would, I would have been afraid early on in the process that that would create doubt and create turnover. But what it's done is it's built trust. Mm-hmm. They see like, okay, they're making good decisions. Those decisions are based on what what's best for BTG. They're always answering what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. And what that's done is it's just done. A, it's done so much for us creating our community and our culture. Mm-hmm. So we fail constantly, mm-hmm. and then we talk about our failures. And I think that empowers the rest of them to understand too. It's just like, oh, failure is part of the journey. Mm-hmm. They do it all the time. And look how they react to those failures. Look how they evaluate it and pivot it and don't give up. And I hope, I really hope that people that are involved in our organization constantly see that and it inspires them to move to to move through failure like, like we do now. Because mm-hmm. it's important. Yeah, absolutely. It's very important. Well, I know we got to wrap this up. Closing thoughts. I, yeah, I have a question for you. So mm-hmm. now that you reflect... Um, on that moment, laying in the bed when you woke up from your brain tumor, you said, I want my wife, my life to be this way. Um, how do you think you've done so far? Um, I think I've honored that, that young man in that very vulnerable moment. I think I've honored his desire in that moment, even though that the man I was, that, that person that I was at that time, I don't recognize him. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a hard time empathizing with him because I'm such a different person now. And, but I, I do feel like I've honored him and now I have an opportunity to, to honor me um, and the next stages and, and my son and, and my wife and what I want my family to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm much more equipped uh, mentally. Um, uh, my, mo- my emotional in- intelligence is a, is a heck of a lot more stable now. Um, so the goals that I set for myself um, and for the goals we set for our business and our lives um, they're, they're manageable, they're mm-hmm. real. Um, and because they're so manageable and real, I feel empowered now. I feel mm-hmm. empowered that what we set out to accomplish, we, we can accomplish. And part of that is, is in helping others um, find that aspect in themselves um, mm-hmm. so that they can have the things that they say that they want in their lives as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. So thank you guys uh, for tuning in. Um, Roast me if you'd like. Uh, (laughs) We are going to be back in about a month. We're going to take the 4th of July off, and then I'm going to be taking my newborn son to see family in Montana. So we're going to be off for a little while, returning with a vengeance in late July 
August. So tune back in with us at The Authentic Agent. Thank you for spending a great big portion of your day today. This was a long podcast. We appreciate your support. Uh, we appreciate you listening. Kyle, thank you, man, for for thank you for walking me through the conversation. Thanks mm-hmm. for being a, a friend and a colleague. Um, you are greatly appreciated, man. Love you, man. Love you too. Talk to you guys later. Have a great weekend.